0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday sporting edition of Pacific Beats on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ew. It's coming up PNG's best female rugby league player set to blaze a trail with the start of a new national competition.
1: PNG women, they are born to play rugby league. And I think most of our girls will just get picked from this competition down to New South Wales and URL. I have confidence with that.
0: Will soccer's power brokers in Papua New Guinea get the message on player welfare as star defender Alvin Kamalong gets the surgery he needs to save his career?
2: In the end, PNGFA did contribute a little towards the surgery, but hopefully, you know, going through this with them, it, it wakes them up and they pay a little bit more attention to player welfare.
0: And could a futsal tournament in Pompeii mark the rebirth of soccer in FSM?
3: We have to grow it locally first before we start thinking of being competitive abroad, but I mean, it has to start somewhere. If not now, then when? If not us, then who? We'll hear more from interim
0: FA president Curtis Graham in the Federated States of Micronesia and others on moves to revive soccer there later in the program. First, though, the Oceania National Olympic Committee's ONOC have had a full-on week of meetings, culminating today with their General Assembly. The gathering has been taking place in Brisbane, host city for the 2032 Olympic Games and Paralympics, events at which the Pacific Island nations are aiming to make their biggest ever sporting impact. Step Up Oceania was the theme of a two-day conference earlier in the week, and an event which prompted ONOC's President Robin Mitchell to say that the Brisbane Games must be remembered as those that gave the Pacific Islands, a new way of thinking, a new level of outcomes and a new level of performance. Among those in attendance was one of Papua New Guinea's all-time greats, Commonwealth Games gold medalist and former Olympic swimmer Ryan Pinney. He'll be his country's chef de mission at the Paris Olympics next year. He's a member of the ONOC Athletes Commission and an executive member of the Pacific Games Council and joins us on Pacific Beat this morning. Ryan, welcome to the programme.
4: Good morning. Thank you very much. How are we all?
0: Now, how big... Is the step up that Pacific athletes will have to make to achieve the level of performance that Robin Mitchell is asking for in 2032? We have nine years
4: essentially to get there. Nine years, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's not not a, a huge amount of time, really, um, in, in the big context. But um, yeah, it's a big step up, and and we've got um, definitely a few goals there or the the Onoc. Um, uh, executive have have some some goals that they want to achieve and you know just to get more athletes to qualify I think is is one of those big ones um, but obviously more athletes in the finals and medal winners is the uh, is the big outcome so it is a big step up and um, there are some really good debates and discussions around um, that high performance culture um, in the Pacific and, and how we can get there over the next nine years. Now,
0: in recent years, we've seen, I would, I would say, increasing number of athletes from the islands offered high performance coaching, but they've had to go overseas to get it. Um, is that the right way in your view or, or is your view or indeed the view of conference that being coached at home will be more productive for Pacific athletes?
4: yeah that that was a that was a pretty hot topic and um you yeah, know from my my background uh and in my sport in particular i think there's there was no better place for me to be than in australia so i i moved um left papua new guinea and um and came to um australia lived here for twelve years and um my career just absolutely skyrocketed from that um i think you know it's it's not every individual's um opportunity or every uh, every sport that um you know, would, would fit this and suit this. But I think, um, you know, a lot of sports and a lot of countries do not have sufficient uh, facilities. Um, funding is is also an issue. But then, you know, the experienced coaches that come along with it uh, and that culture around it. So for me, being in around a club that has um, a, a large range of, of very good swimmers was... Uh, attributed to my success plus the amount of competitions that were here in Australia that I could access was, uh, it was incredible. I would have to be flying several times a month to be able to get those, um, uh, those qualifications and those competitions done. So it just made a lot of sense. Um, Ideally though, there there are a lot of athletes that do travel to the U S so I think um, having a better framework or or network within Australia really does suit that. Um, But saying that, sorry, um, we do need a high performance culture within each country because we need to be able to build uh, those athletes up. And
0: state of mind comes into this, doesn't it? I mean, we, we hear stories often about uh, Pacific athletes of one form or another who, who go abroad and for whatever reason, they struggle. But it doesn't mean they're not good athletes. It's just that they're not happy in the in the overseas environment so you kind of have to pick the right people don't you to travel and and those that are not going to be happy try and help them to to train and and build at home
4: yeah we've we've seen quite a bit of that where athletes will travel particularly to the u.s uh they're out of their culture they're they're away from their families the the pacific athletes are very very home people They, they love being around uh family uh it means a lot to them and when when they're taken out from that um and put into this environment and it's not it's not just are they're studying they're they're pushed to their limits and and when you when you have a hard time you want to reach out to your your friends and family and, and sometimes um that's not available so uh yes it is it is very tough and it's not for everyone um uh but like i said i think having that australian network brings everything a lot closer to home um Particularly for the Melanesian athletes, um, there's a, there's a lot uh, closer um, proximity to their family, and I think that'll that'll be um, a, a really good solution. <laughs>
0: On the question of high performance, I mean, we saw the impact that the establishment of a high-performance centre in Papua New Guinea had on the team's performance in, at the Pacific Games in 2015. Um, Solomon Islands uh, are hopeful, I think, of a, of a similar model doing wonders for their medal count this uh, November in, in Honiara. But but for most Pacific Island countries, that kind of high-performance centre is out of reach, isn't it? They just can't afford it. So how do they match those standards?
4: Yeah, it, that, that's... um. I mean, it's such a big contrast in, in what we've seen over the the you know, two days in the conference where we've seen um, AIS and the Queensland Academy of Sport showcase their facilities and it just you know, blows us away um, seeing that sort of level of access that they have. Um, and in big contrast, we had Marcus Stephen from Nauru showing his high-performance facility in Nauru and it was you know, a room with, um, you know, uneven floors and, and some carpet here, some timber here and lights not working. Um, you know, all the, the the weights were all different. Um, and, you know, it's, it was just a, a huge contrast. But he produces world champions and Commonwealth Games gold medalists. So it does show that, um, you know, in some cases in some sports, you don't need all that fancy equipment. But I think with that high performance center brings a lot of culture with it um and that's what i think is is a big takeaway from from this conference is um how do we build that that culture um around high performing athletes so that they feel they feel welcomed and i think you know 2015 pacific games when we had that um that culture, it was it was the best I've seen our team PNG altogether. It was just it was really really good. Um, everyone was just you know, cheering each other on, uh, and that's and that's pretty hard to see. I think Solomon Islands is going to have that advantage, uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing their their outcomes from this. What about um,
0: Pacific Oz Sports? Um, you know, the Australian government has put a fair chunk of money into into Pacific sport over the last uh, two or three years, and they've had some major successes, but Again, in terms of what they offer, a lot of it is about athletes coming to Australia rather than maybe coaches going going out to the islands. I mean, do, they do do that, but maybe not so much of it. I mean, do they need to look again at their model, do you think, if Pacific Old Sports is to be 100% effective?
4: Yeah, I think uh, having um, the coaches come to the countries is is a huge value. Uh, you know, we we've had uh, um, coaches come up to Australia, uh, even from back in the '90s when when I was um, a little a little guy back then. Um, and we've had some coaches come down this way, but I mean, yeah, for us, there's always always visa issues that we have to negotiate and the, the additional costs to it. So having a coach come up and we we get multiple coaches to come through and and learn off um, a single coach is is really good. Um, Sustainability-wise, um, we know that, that coaches need constant um, experiences at this, and and maybe that's that's where we've been lacking because um, you know, a coach will come through for one or two weeks and then and then disappear. They've obviously they've got their job, they've got family to return back to. Um, so yeah, it, you know, looking at that sustainability to see whether we can get someone in for uh, longer periods of time um and you know maybe a a more high performance targeted coach
0: and after a week uh, in which you've been in the company of i believe around about 300 athletes and sporting officials and essentially people connected with sport in the pacific looking ahead to the 2032 olympics i mean do you get a feeling that that there is genuine momentum here and, and something major can be achieved over the next nine years culminating in brisbane in 2032
4: i really I really really hope so um seeing this this conference was um was the first of of what I see as many, and I think um and it needs to be it needs to be consistent so we can keep driving home those outcomes um that will be delivered from this and um there's a really good vibe in the room um and having that connection in brisbane was was truly incredible, I think just to see. Um, the enthusiasm by the organising committee and the sporting fraternity around in Australia and Brisbane uh, just to see how how big these games will be, but also how inclusive they'll be, um, including um, the Oceania Pacific region very much in their plan moving forward. So uh, I'm sure the the Australian government and and all the, the sporting bodies will be a little bit more, hopefully a lot more flexible um in allowing athletes to come down and, and share resources and, and that's a big part of my story too. Um as is, is how I made success. I've I've you know managed to shoe my way in through to um some very well well regarded um coaches and massage therapists, physios and, and things like that. That helped me along my way.
0: Ultimately to that uh, gold medal in 2006 in Melbourne at the Commonwealth Games and uh, let's hope that uh, other athletes will will follow your lead and maybe pick up that elusive uh, Olympic gold at the Games in 2032. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beat this morning. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Ryan Pinney there, Commonwealth Games gold medalist back in 2006, chef de mission for PNG at the Paris Olympics next year and involved very much with the ONOC and the Pacific Games Council as well, reflecting on that gathering in Brisbane over the last few days. Now, we were hoping to cross to uh, South Africa this morning to the town of Stellenbosch, east of Cape Town, which is hosting the World Rugby Sevens Challenger Series. We're still hoping to do that, but we can't get through just at the moment. But I can tell you, There are 12 men's and 12 women's teams competing in two tournaments this week and next with the top men's team going on to a final qualifier in London next month, while the top women's team will gain direct entry to the World Rugby 7 Series next season. In the men's event, the Pacific is represented by Tonga and Papua New Guinea, while PNG are the sole team from Oceania in the women's event. Unfortunately, day one didn't go well for PNG, with the men's team losing both their pool matches against Hong Kong 26-5 and then an agonising one-point loss to Chile 2019. In the women's comp, the Palais went down 27-12 to Belgium, and then 46-0 46-0 to China. However, the news is much better for Tonga. They began with a 29-7 win over Zimbabwe and then drew their second match at 21 all against Belgium. They have one more pool match against Germany to come tonight and they're well set at the moment to make it through to the quarterfinals. So if we can get through to uh, South Africa to speak to the Tongan camp, we will do so a little later in the show. Meanwhile, while Papua New Guinea's long-held desire to field a team in the NRL has been front and centre lately, the PNG-RFL's ambitions for the women's game could well bear fruit much sooner. The organization's five-year strategy includes the establishment of a national women's competition by 2025 along the lines of the Men's Digicel Cup. And as Carl Evans reports, it's a move which one of the key figures behind the plan believes will open up a pathway for PNG's best female players to make the move to Australia.
5: For Della Adama, her PNG Orchids debut in 2017 was a dream come true. But unlike her male counterparts, there was no Digicel Cup or PNG Hunters team for her to return to once the match was over. Now, she's in a position to change that. As PNG Rugby League's female high-performance coordinator, she'll be helping to implement the country's first national women's competition in two years' time.
1: There's no pathway in place where they come and then they put put a full stop at the at the national level where once the selection is done, everyone feels that oh, there's no hope anymore. It's also killing the girls and giving negative thoughts back to uh, the husbands and the brothers that we didn't make the orchids and that's it. We cannot support you wasting our time. Having this national competition in place, it's gonna involve a lot of girls. We're talking about 100 plus, 200 plus female participating in this national competition throughout the country. So yeah, if you really help the girls with the mindset,
5: the competition is part of a five-year strategic plan from the governing body to strengthen the game. Working alongside Della is PNG's high-performance general manager, Mark Portis, who says the women's competition will likely feature existing Digicel Cup clubs.
6: Yeah, that is the thinking with introducing the female comp. So we'll probably use a bit of the model that the NRLW use. We'll start small, maybe only have four or five clubs that start with the female version of the team. Make sure we do it right, and then scale it up, similar to what NRLW's done. They're going to need support from us at the PNG RFL, but from a strategic point of view, they, they all see that it makes sense. That's where they need to go. They've all got various capacities and capabilities, and some won't be ready in 2025 to do it. And that's part of my role and the PNG RFL's role is to actually start giving, getting them those capabilities and capacities so they can start hosting a women's team.
5: The five-year plan also aims to introduce a national under-19s competition for young male and female players to strengthen the pathway from the grassroots to the professional ranks.
6: All the consultation and the research we've done over the last two years, probably the biggest piece of feedback we've got is improving the quality of the pathways, improving those opportunities for talented kids. You know, there's a view that there's probably a lot of talent in PNG that's not really being identified and tracked as well as it could. So... Providing more opportunities for them to uh, compete at younger ages is definitely part of the plan there, yes. So having that competition pathway is important for them.
5: The new strategy comes in the wake of an encouraging campaign for the PNG Orchids at last year's Rugby League World Cup. And Mark Porter says public support for a women's competition is at an all-time high.
6: So last year we did a number of interviews, public surveys, and was a vast majority in support of introducing a women's comp as soon as possible. There's some that are pushing for us to do it quicker than 2025, and it's becoming more socially acceptable for females to be playing rugby league. Papua New Guinea so there's a lot of opportunities that really isn't available to the girls that have been available to the boys for a long time so there's a large part of just trying to rectify that so it's you know there's a social aspect there's an equality aspect but also from a modern sporting point of view this just makes good good business sense as well that your sport reflects society in general and all the opportunities available across society your sport should be reflecting that too.
5: Della Radama supports that view. And on the ground, she says interest among women in playing rugby league is actually higher than it is among men.
1: That's why I'm working very hard day and night to make it happen with a lot of confidence. I know that it's going to happen and it's going to be bigger than the men's. PNG women, they're born to play rugby league. They're naturally rugby league talented players. They're naturally physically tough, fast. There's a lot of talent out there implementing this national competition. I think most of our girls will just get picked from this competition down to New South Wales and QRL. I have confidence with that.
0: PNG Rugby League's the Women's High Performance Coordinator and Orchid Assistant Coach Adela Adama, ending that report by Carl Evans. Meanwhile, the PNG Hunters. They're back in Queensland Cup action on the Gold Coast tomorrow and they take on Burley Bears in what has become a traditional Anzac Day encounter with the two sides competing for points and the Kokoda Cup. And in the Ron Massey Cup, fresh from their win over the reigning premiers at Hills Bulls in Latoka last weekend, the Caiviti Silktails have been rewarded with a bye so they can put their feet up.
1: Join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. I'll be interviewing incredible guests and discussing issues that are in the hearts and minds of Pacific women. When you're younger, you don't really take note
7: of the significance of this ritual. Until you're much older, then you realise that you're proud to be part of this ritual.
1: So join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. Witness days at 3.30pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
0: Time to take a look at some of the stories that making news headlines around the Pacific this morning and uh, keeping an eye on proceedings for us, Kyle Evans, who we just heard from, and he's now live in person. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Richard. A um,
5: lot of people leaving Fiji. Um, it's like an exodus. What's going on? Yeah, so twenty two thousand, to be exact, ha- have left since the since the end of the pandemic. More than sixteen thousand uh, have left through work permits, and another five thousand have left through migration. So this is reported by FBC News, who quoted Fiji's permanent secretary for finance at the twenty twenty three National Economic Summit in Suva yesterday. That number doesn't include residents leaving on student visas either. So it's a, it's a number that's probably a lot higher, a little bit higher than twenty two thousand. And it's obviously created a uh, a major challenge for both the public and private sectors. So on the back of that, uh, what was the forecast from the summit for the future of the national economy? Yeah, good and bad news. So it's anticip- the national economy is anticipated to bounce back to pre-pandemic levels by 2024. Uh, however, it remains very much at the mercy of the uh, of global uncertainties, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the banking sector instability, and in uh, the overall tightening of the global labour market. Uh, that'll ultimately dictate the outcome of Fiji's economy. And unlike in previous Crises. Uh, both Australia and New Zealand are not spared and are slowing down as well. They're obviously key supply markets for Fiji through tourism and other sectors. Knock-on effects, I guess,
0: uh, from the pandemic, plus all those people heading overseas to get, build up their remittances. Now, the Vanuatu government... Uh, considering handing out um, cash, I understand, to citizens affected by the double cyclone of a few weeks ago, instead of dry rations, um, is this how it's unfolding? I mean, I think this is the way they've decided they want to go, isn't it?
5: That's right. So, yeah, they, they could be introducing uh, digital cash transfers to allow people to to take control of their recovery, essentially, um, in what would be the first time the government has ever provided cash as a form of humanitarian assistance. Uh, so this is revealed by the Minister of Finance, John Salong, uh, via the Vanuatu Daily Post. And he believes that distributing cash is more effective because it can allow people to spend uh, money on things other than daily household needs. However, a valid national ID card would be required uh, to in order to receive the transfer. And uh, unfortunately, many of the uh, 66,000 households uh, in Vanuatu don't actually have one. So bearing that in mind, when will this program, in whatever form it turns out to be, be rolled out? Yeah, so no date yet. However, a pilot program will initially be implemented, I understand, in one of the smaller communities on Afate before expanding. Uh, In the meantime, uh, Mr. Salong is very much urging people to register for an ID card. Now, the Lowy
0: Institute raising some interesting questions about uh, the money that Australia, rather belatedly it has to
5: be said, put into funding for the Pacific Games. So what are the, what points are the Institute making? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a bit of an interesting one. So they've written an article suggesting uh, that Australia's funding that they've allocated may have actually broken uh, international aid rules by backing a sports tournament uh, over urgent development needs. So... DFAT uh, which the Department the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs uh, has confirmed Australia's committed 17 million for the games uh, which will come as part of Australia's overall bilateral aid budget for the Solomon Islands that's worth about 100 million and that 17 million makes up about 10% of that or a little bit over however According to the Lowy Institute, it breaks uh, official development assistance rules that the Organisation for Economic, the Economic Cooperation and Development countries have agreed to. So apparently the, o, the ODA rulebook rule states that uh, there shouldn't be any expenditure for artistic, musical and sporting events. Uh, and they should that, or those particular um, things, music, uh, anything artistic, musical or, or sporting event related should be excluded from funding. So, what response have we had from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade? Yeah, so their justification uh, essentially is that uh, while it is for a sporting event, it will deliver long-term uh, social de- uh, development benefits, uh, and that includes upgrades, to things like schools, as well as a marine centre and equipment for the National Institute of Sport. But um, yeah, still, still quite interesting that um, that mo- they might have might have broken a bit of a rule there. Well. It is interesting because the current government is doing exactly what it used to
0: criticise the previous government for, which mm. is they, they advertise money as new. They say, hey, we're giving you $70 million for the Pacific Games. What they don't tell you is we pinched it out of this fund, which means that's seventeen million less for something else. And I think that's the point mm. that the Lowy Institute are making, as well as course, as apparently they have broken the rules, but the government obviously dispute that. I know our colleague Liam Fox up in... Brisbane is investigating this further, and we'll, look, we'll see if we can get an interview with Pat Conroy, the minister who made the announcement about this funding back in August, I think it was. Mm. So, yeah, interesting story. Very interested to hear from him. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs>
5: Pat, if you're listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he's a pretty good operator, isn't he, Pat Conroy? I'm sure he'll have an answer for us, but we'll see. Carl, uh, thank you very much indeed. There's some of the news stories making uh, headlines around the region on this Friday morning.
8: You're listening to
9: Pacific Beat. ABC Radio Australia,
0: and it's the Friday Sporting Edition with myself, Richard Ewart. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to top central defender and former captain of the Papua New Guinea national men's soccer team, Alvin Comalong, about his fundraising campaign and the money he needed, needed to pay for vital knee surgery. Well, I'm pleased to say, Alvin is in Qatar right now, where he's had the operation that could save his playing career, and it all went very smoothly. But the fundraising doesn't stop there, as he has somewhere between six and eight months of rehab ahead of him. However, after chatting to his surgeon, Arvin is quietly confident that he will be fully fit in time to represent his country again at the Pacific Games in November.
2: I talked to him about possibly um, making it back in time for Pacific Games with the doctor, and he said it is feasible, but it depends on how we we go with the rehab and how my body heals. So he's put me on some very strict conservative guidelines for the initial few weeks, so I'm, I'm hoping that my body responds well to it. But oh, I should be coming back, maybe another two times back to Qatar, just for follow-ups and maybe, maybe, hopefully a rehab block. So it should be all right.
0: I'm guessing, therefore, that there is still finance to be found to complete the process. You managed to get the finance clearly for the operation itself, but recuperation, the kind of recuperation, you need also costs money. So I mean, where do you stand from that point of view? And and what about the PNGFA? Have they helped you in the end?
2: Yeah, correct. So the rehab is actually the most important bit and yeah when I get back and settle down a bit I'll keep pushing to get some more finance to come back and do the rehab it it is an expensive exercise with rehabilitation with all the physio appointments and facility expenses and equipment that you have to use to rehabilitate especially something like this elite athletes they require a different level of rehabilitation to get back on the field and yeah I mean in the end PNGFA did help out a little bit they did contribute a little towards the surgery, but hopefully, you know, going through this with them, it it wakes them up and they pay a little bit more attention to the player welfare side which is you know lacking not just in football but across all the sports in png
0: because generally what happens in other countries not necessarily all but i mean a player of your standing it would be in the interest of the national association to get you back out on the field as soon as possible and they would move heaven and earth to do that
2: yeah i mean i would like to think that that's how um, our football association thinks but i'm not sure it's just not in the environment in png you know where people think like that. So, I mean, it is what it is. I just sort of focus on myself and try to make the best out of the situation and get done what I need to get done. And if people take notice, then I hopefully can change some things.
0: And the fundraising drive that you began uh, a few weeks ago now, I mean, I assume that will continue for the simple reason that you can't be sure that you're going to get official funding.
2: Yeah, correct. I'll continue my fundraising personally. And I've got some good response so far from people who are still willing to give some money. So, yeah, once I get back home and settle back in then I can refocus on getting that bit done but right now just recovering from the surgery.
0: What sort of response have you had to your situation from players within PNG within the Pacific maybe from further afield has there been much said to you through social media or through other means about the situation in which you found yourself?
2: Not necessarily from Oceania but in PNG, there's been a few that have reached out. They've sort of heard the message and empathized, but mainly it's from other people who you know it's basically a conversation that gets started you know they say you got injured do you have insurance or does your football association take care of it or sports federation and it's like every time the answer is nah man that's not how it works here we're hung out to dry when you get injured people forget about you so that's been the main conversation i've been having with people that they're just a bit taken aback that there's no support system um, in place for national athletes when they do suffer something like what i did
0: and with talk now of this uh, ofc a professional league um, getting off the ground within the next year or two quite clearly this is a situation that shouldn't and really can't really be allowed to exist in a a professional league I mean players have to be properly looked after and I don't think anybody would argue that in your case that hasn't
2: happened Yeah exactly I mean we can talk big about professional leagues and stuff like that but if you don't have the systems in place you know it's a process that you have to go through you can't just sort of skip steps and expect this and this and this to happen Um, you really have to pay attention into the smaller, finer details. And if you want to have some level of professionality, player welfare is a big part of it. I don't think too many people will be wanting to aspire to be a professional if they know that they're not going to get the benefits that they would like to have. So that it takes a lot of educating and awareness to really drive that message. But I'm sure we can get there with the right mindset and attitude.
0: Alvin, come along, PNG Soccer International on the line from a hospital in Doha, but on the way we hope to the Pacific Games in Honiara later this year. Now, the last time the Federated States of Micronesia made headlines on the soccer field was at the Pacific Games in 2015 when their very young and very inexperienced team suffered three catastrophic defeats, shipping 114 goals in the process. Since then, the game in FSM has been largely dormant, but now there are moves to start again, beginning with the country's first-ever futsal tournament to be played in Pompeii in July. All four states, states—Yap, yeah, Chuuk, Kosrai, and Pompeii, will field a team... And the hope is that the micro-cup will be the catalyst for development programs and eventually the rebirth of FSM's national 11-a-side team. But as Talia Olatia reports, in a country where even the simple task of buying a futsal ball is not simple at all, it's going to require a lot of hard work and dedication to succeed.
9: He's just turned 18. He's just finished his last high school soccer season in the US state of Georgia. And now Kenny Aldana has college soccer career ambitions but he's also on a mission to get the sport up and running again in the federated states of Micronesia, and in particular, his grandfather's state of Kozrai. When Kenny tried to find a team there to represent, he found that there just wasn't one, so he decided to see if he could set one up. But with FSM not part of the FIFA family, it quickly became apparent that an 11-a-side tournament involving all four states was going to be way too expensive.
8: Due to FSM's non-affiliation with FIFA at the moment, we don't really have much funding in terms of travel. And a lot of our players come from other states. So, for example, with Yap, I know flights are almost $2,000 right now at the moment. So flying players from other states into Pompeii for the tournament itself would be really expensive for 11 aside. So we thought about five aside on grass. But given like the weather conditions in uh, FSM with a lot of the rain and a lot of the pitches flooding, uh, we thought it would uh, work out better if we tried futsal.
9: But futsal costs money too, and at this stage, the organisers can only afford to field four on-court teams of six, with no one on the bench. Vasanta Seranguda, the FSM's FA Interim Secretary-General, says they have a sponsor in the US and a shirt sponsor in the UK, but to grow FSM's first competitive event in years, they need more.
6: We're happy to have more sponsors. We really need more funding. As of now, we only can uh, accommodate six players from each uh, state because uh, we lack of funding. At least we need more substitutes in a team, but we're not afford to bring them. So we would really appreciate if there are any other sponsors willing to help us so we could bring a full team from each state.
9: Invitations have also gone out to Nauru, Palau, and Marshall Islands to come and play in the Micro Cup. But so far, the only response has been silence.
6: So I'm guessing they want to see how it goes on at this time. I'm sure in the future, once we host this uh, league and it's a success, I'm sure the other nations around us, Pacific Islands around us, they want to participate.
9: Until a week or so ago, the team from COSRI were unable to work with their Solomon Islands coach, who's actually a doctor working in the state, because there were no futsal balls at all on the island. Curtis Graham is the interim president of the FSM Football Association, and he says basic equipment is very hard to come by.
3: We can't buy any futsal balls anywhere. It's just not something that's sold. Quality soccer balls, we would have to order them on Amazon or anywhere else. They'd be a little different, but I know It's very difficult to get here. I definitely, this will probably be the first real soccer practice that they've had ever.
9: And if anyone involved in soccer and FSM knows about doing it tough, it's Curtis Graham. He was part of the management team for the ill-fated squad that went to the Pacific Games in PNG in 2015. They started with a 30-0 loss to Tahiti, and then it got worse as they lost 38-0 to Fiji, and then much worse when they were hammered 46-0 by Vanuatu.
3: Yes, it was a very painful experience and actually played on the first FSM team in 2003. We got hammered as well, but not nearly as badly. Our worst loss was 18-0 and then uh, our last game was 7-0. So we didn't score, but the scores weren't up in the 30s, 40s, like it was in 2015.
9: Now, eight years on, the Micro Cup is the first step on the road to rebuilding soccer in FSM, and then perhaps one day returning to the Pacific Games with a way more competitive team. Kenny Aldana would like to be a part of it, but even at 18, he appreciates time may not be on his side.
8: Honestly, I hope that we can uh, redeem ourselves at a future Pacific Games. I'm not sure when that'll be, but I'm hoping it will be a lot better. Whatever we do now with this cup will just be the foundation for future FSM players after me, after everyone involved in the formation of this cup. The goal is just to make it a lot easier for everyone that comes after us because I know things are pretty hard for us right now.
9: And that goal would be much easier to achieve with the support from FIFA and the OFC. But while FSM remains outside both organisations, there's no funding available from either of them.
3: It has been going on (laughs) 20-plus years, so... Whether it's interim membership, full membership, there's absolutely no support. And so we've been running things on our own. I was a player on the teams in 2001, 2003. Now I've moved way past that stage and I'm still trying to coach and helping organize games. And I fear I will be long gone from this sport and uh, we will still not get the support that we've been working for the last 20 plus years.
9: Two other of the small island states in the Pacific, Tuvalu and Kiribati, do at least have associate membership of OFC and small amounts of money have come their way. But they want to be part of FIFA and without full OFC membership, they can't achieve that. However, together, Kenny Oldana believes they can have more of an
8: impact. I look forward to working alongside people in Kiribati in the future. I think that uh, if we all work together as a group of countries that aren't really in FIFA yet but all have the same goal, I think we can do great things.
9: One way to build an FSM national side more quickly might be to draw exclusively on overseas talent like Kenny, but Curtis Graham is reluctant to go down that road. He believes players outside the country can certainly have an impact on growing the game in FSM, but he doesn't want to see the creation of a team made up entirely of expats.
3: We need to grow the sport locally, and there's opportunity to do that with the right kind of support. Whether that eventually leads back to the Pacific Games, we have a long way to go even to start talking about that. But what we want is the opportunity just to expose our youth to the sport, have people learn the sport, understand the sport, and uh, enjoy playing it. And we have to grow it locally first before we start thinking of being competitive abroad. But, I mean, it has to start somewhere. If not now, then when? If not us, then who?
0: If not us, then who? Good point. Uh, Curtis Graham, interim president of the FSM Football Association, ending that report from Talia Oletia and the Micro Cup that kicks off in Pompeii on July the 5th with the grand final day set for July the 15th. It'll be interesting to see uh, where that tournament takes soccer indoors or outdoors in FSM. Now, this Friday morning here on Pacific Beach, we continue on our sporting theme. We're going to take a look at some of the topics that have been sparking conversation and producing social media posts aplenty during the week with uh, sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players and Rugby Coaches Facebook forums at Tia Rocco. Tia, welcome to the program. It's been a busy week.
7: Yes, Nisayandra and Bulavanaka and Pacific greetings. A very good morning to our listeners across the Pacific, Richard.
0: Now we've talked more than once in recent weeks about the uh, upcoming uh, annual meeting of the Fiji Rugby Union. It's scheduled to take place on April the twenty-ninth. But I'm, I'm tempted to ask, what's the point? Because apparently all nominations and motions have now been declared null and void. So what are they going to talk about?
7: Yes, Richard. Look, in 2023 and so early in the year, I think this would be one of the most talked about, critiqued, criticized ridiculed, most discussed and exhausted topic by far, if we were asked which topic is popular across our forums in terms of audience engagement and response, Richard. So without a doubt, a hot topic of conversation around the Carver Bowl across Fijian homes in the Pacific and throughout the diaspora Fijian communities across the globe. The latest news coming out of Fiji from the Fiji Times around 10 o'clock yesterday is the acting CEO, um, Stay, that major unions have failed to comply and therefore their voices have become null and void. We know that Suva Rugby came out boldly just over a week ago against the current Fiji Rugby Administration, Richard, calling out for board members specifically to step down. And this has been uh, the response of Fiji Rugby uh, Richard, they've dug their heels in using the constitution to back up their decisions, which was always going to be the downfall of all unions in Fiji because of the simple yet complex issue of compliance around governance and period limitations as specified pardon me, in the constitution in the lead up to the April 29th date. And mind you, this was moved from April the 16th. So Fiji Rugby has clarified, Richard, that all nominations and motions put in by the unions are not valid, backing this up cleverly, or one would say divisively, with a 21-day limitation, which is rather vague. And Soravaki said that the unions that filed in nominations have been advised that they have been given two days to approve. Appeal uh regarding this decision richard so yes um you know given all this we don't know if um how fiji rugby assists member unions towards compliance across the board and there is no evidence of capacity building so yes richard saga for fiji rugby in uh continues and we can only hope for the best in the next eight days
0: so we have a situation where, where this statement has come from the FIU and they, they basically said the member unions are, are all out of order, they fail to comply. This is coming from the acting chief executive, Saleh Souravaki, former captain of the Flying Fijians, but also, of course, we can't get away from the fact that he's the son-in-law of the former Prime Minister, Frank Bainimarama, Marama, and Frank Bainimarama Marama is still the president of the FRU. So, I mean, conspiracy theories abound, don't they, about why this is happening?
7: yes and a lot of anger and angst across um um the forums that we uh, run online richard people are saying you know uh, he will always be attached to the badimarama administration so and people are also looking forward to to um you know Mbadi Marama stepping down officially because officially nothing has been said yet richard
0: so, uh, we'll wait and see. I mean, I suppose, I suppose they could talk about it at the meeting next week, but I don't know if anybody will, would get to vote on it. So, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Now, talking about reactions on social media, I think another story which has um, stirred up a lot of reaction is the Fijiana Ndrua, of course, came into the Super W competition here in Australia last year, swept all before them and and won it without ever losing a game. And now they've lost two in a row and uh, the knives are out. There's been some pretty unpleasant stuff on social media about this team.
7: Yes, Richard, harsh criticisms, entirely focused on the coaching ability of Inoki Maile, who was instrumental working with um, head coach Seni Siravakula and a great team of coaches in bringing the and Drua through to their first uh, championships in 2022. Uh, We now know that Siravakula is uh, happily coaching the Fijian Warriors when I spoke to him earlier during the week. And as one uh, veteran local coach pointed out, it's certainly not the the team from last year. Players have moved on and secured contract services. It's not the team that was also preparing for the delayed Women's Rugby World Cup last year, and that is the point of difference. So in terms of intensity training, intensity has levelled off, and in all fairness, Inoke he needs to find his footing. He needs time. As another national local coach mentioned to me when I asked uh, for his opinion, uh, which I think he's summarised, succinctly Richard he said that the squad depth is out of reach when it comes to top level rugby with players dropped from uh, sevens these are unfortunately the first choice for Fijiana and I'm fortunately, herein lies the problem. Maile needs to develop his own squad depth and invest on player core skills and the amount of work the coaching staff tried to implement around structured rugby cannot work because hardly any Fijian provincial teams are taught to play uh, structured 15s rugby and the skills to execute it under pressure. So yes, Richard, in hindsight, a lot of work to do for the uh, Fijiana coaching staff and we wish them well versus the Reds uh, this weekend and on, and as a side note Richard the National Fijiana team on the 20th of May will come up versus the, the Wallaroos in a double header match at the, the Allianz Stadium in Sydney so yeah that's coming up soon Richard.
0: A couple of things that I would add to that. I mean, some of the comments that I've seen have been aimed personally at the players and have talked about things like their weight, for example, which I don't think is what we want to see. Uh, and the second thing is that a number of the players that, that, that could have been playing for the Indra or indeed were playing for the Indra last season have, have been taken away and are now playing for Australian clubs. And that, that's part of the problem, isn't it? That the Australian clubs have seen these Fijian players and say, we'll have her, we'll have her.
7: Yes, uh, unfortunately, it's become open um, open slather for uh, uh, teams in Australia to, you know, rightfully pick players who uh, are within, you know, well within their element of playing overseas rugby, which is also pleasing to see. On the other hand, Richard.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it, that one? Because you, certainly you like to see players get on. But uh, but then, you know, the fans at home want to see their own teams succeed. And talking of which, uh, Moana Pacifica, uh, I mean, having a tough old time in, in Super Rugby this season, yet to record a win. They played their first match in Samoa last weekend and it was a big success by all accounts, apart from the result. But I'm interested in Levi Amoa. Um, who is with the Moana Pacific at the moment, but he's being advised to go and join a different club, a New Zealand club, surprise, surprise, uh, to push his case for the All Blacks because he could play for the All Blacks. He could also play for Fiji or Samoa. He, he's qualified to play for all three of those teams. But it's a little disappointing, isn't it, to, to, that the people are leaning on him to say, you're not going to get into the All Black side unless you move on.
7: Yes, well, you know, Richard, the crux or the issue at heart with this story is a narrative that's linked to the lead-up of the Rugby World Cup um, later this year in France. So coaches are preparing for the Rugby World Cup. And as we know, when the time draws near for an important international uh, calendar fixture, the conversation or narrative uh, or row in some instances uh, looms uh, around the face of eligibility. Um, And for those who don't know, this simply means... um, Um, you know, which country a a player has the option to play with. So here we are in 2023 and finally Pacific countries have options as as to who to approach given the crop of talent. So in retrospect, the timeliness of Pacifica teams uh, like the Fijian Drua, the Moana Pacifica is epic because it now opens eligibility options for players to either or represent their first country of choice or to be picked up by New Zealand, which in the case of Levi, uh, more may happen, much to the disdain of Pacific coaches who would much prefer players to play for their country of heritage. So yes, the crop to pick from the southern hemisphere, as I said, somewhat has somewhat widened and presented with a variety of possibilities. Richard, uh, and in the case of Amor, he may appear uh, at the Rugby World Cup. He may not have uh, may have, have not made a decision of on where his allegiance may lie. Richard, however he is as you said eligible to play for the All Blacks Fiji or Samoa and I think um, given the previous narratives of the yesteryear for this player he would be uh, more likely leaning towards the All Blacks and I like what Rugby Pass said this week that the current Moana Pacifica squad has 18 eligible players for Samoa 12 for Tonga and one eligible uh, Fijian which serves a purpose uh, for Pacific Nations Richard
0: well, that's what we were told we would see. But, but uh, if there are some of those players who would also be eligible for the All Blacks and they get cherry picked, I think really that's not what we'd want to see. Although from the players' point of view, I can understand why they would do that. Um, the Bano coach, Salala uh, Mapasua, I mean, he's come out and said that, that, that Samoa need their own a super rugby team, not Moana Pacifica, but just uh, a Samoan team along the lines of the Fijian Underwood. I mean, d- do you think that that is possible? Could Could they sustain a team in Samoa, do you think?
7: Richard, I think this is positive. Why not? Samoans make up a lot of the player Pacifica numbers, as is in Rugby League and in Union, a formidable force to be reckoned with, I think, uh, once they are solidified. I'm excited about this. Should it happen? I think we have uh, people of Samoan heritage across codes in high-level administrative positions, uh, who most certainly have the capability of doing this. And I think if it has been touted, then it means that Samoa is indicating to bigger nations that there is a very serious conversation and intention happening behind the scenes. And this brings an added excitement and flavour with participation of Pacifica nations and the notion, uh, the real notion of possibilities, Richard.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if and when it uh, comes to fruition and I suppose logically it might lead to a Tongan team one of these days as well, but uh, maybe a little while ahead. But uh, we'll leave it there, Tia. It's been a fascinating week and we've still got a week to go before that FRU AGM. But (laughs) thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beat as always.
7: Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Richard.
0: Tia Rocco there, who's the moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players and Rugby Coaches Facebook forum and a sports writer in her own right. You can uh, spot her work in The Raw on that particular website, which produces some very interesting insights to sport in Australia and in the Pacific, for that matter, usually courtesy of Tia.
6: Pacific Beat.
0: And that's it from this edition of Pacific Beat, the sporting edition. And just to tell you that in Super Rugby Pacific, Fijiana and Drua take on the unbeaten Chiefs in Hamilton this weekend. And Moana Pacifica, they have the weekend off. And the Fijiana and Drua, they face the Reds on Sunday. Another tough ask. Reds beaten by just a point against the Waratahs last weekend. Fijiana, of course, unfortunately lost to the Western Force. I'm Richard Hewitt. Thanks for your company. Have a great sporting weekend.